Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown in Tribeca, the greatest city in the world. Welcome back to the conversation. I am Tommy Weber, and we got a great show for you tonight. It is really cold here in New York City. We have finally gotten into a, a cold snap. Looks like we're going to have some really, really tough, frigid weather for the next couple of weeks, which uh, actually, before I introduce my esteemed guest, um, is one of the things I want to talk about. We had a relatively mild winter, which for me, uh, one of the ways I gauge the weather is how much golf I play and how much baseball we get in. Uh, and whenever we have this kind of mild winter, I always think to myself, wow, what an opportunity for young guys to be outside continuously uh, and to rob some days that you don't normally get. Um, one of the things, actually the thing that probably uh, is precludes guys from progressing in our game the most is the weather. You just don't have enough of an opportunity to get outside. It's no secret the best players come from the warmest places. Why? They get to play more. So if you get to play 12 months a year and another regionally gets to play six or eight months a year, obviously you're going to be behind if you happen to be residing in the latter. Um, it really strikes me as odd, though, that year after year, as time goes by, how much we've groomed the generation of players to think that it's okay. Baseball is one of the few things that you do where people are actually telling you it's okay. Uh, you're going to get better by doing less. And uh, the fields are empty all fall and all early winter long. I don't see guys out taking ground balls, uh, throwing, doing anything baseball-wise. We have now convinced the generation of player that it's okay for you on October 1st to put your glove and your bat and your spikes away, head for the gym, uh, and hit the weights, and that's going to make you a better player. Now, I am all in favor of players getting stronger, guys being fit. It's a wonderful thing. But the reality is you don't get better by being fitter. You get fitter. And you might get stronger, but your skills don't get better. And there's only one way to get your skills better, and that's by practicing them. And when you have the opportunity, as we did this winter, to have such a mild winter, really, uh, such that you could have been outside every single day, to let that go and let it uh, pass you by without taking advantage of it uh, is a real shame. And I don't blame the players. I blame the, the structure. I blame myself and everybody else who's contributed to this mentality that it's okay to take these long swaths of time off, whether it be in the summer, where actually I see kids who play travel ball take the month of August off. Uh, it's funny, you live in a place where you can only play seven months of the year and you're giving up one of those months. So um, I just, uh, I can't understand why we continue to... Um, proliferate this sort of mentality which says uh, it's okay to take long periods of time off and you still think that you're going to get better. Um, so if that happens again next year and you're a player, you're crazy if you're not taking 150 ground balls a day and swings and throwing and getting outside and doing baseball stuff. Enough of that. I've made enough enemies. Now I got to bring back my friend. Uh, Mike Massey, University of Illinois, second baseman, came out to the Cape last year. Uh, and really, really made a big splash early on. Uh, he is a 2018 Rawlings Gold Glove Award winner, uh, 60 consecutive games without making an error, all-region player, freshman All-American, um, 
And we got close really quickly, spent a lot of time together. And actually, I think this is the first time I'm speaking to him since the summer. I want to welcome Michael Massey. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well, Tommy. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, uh, I'm an avid listener every week, so it's pretty cool <laughs> to uh, hear, my, hear my fellow teammates come on and uh, you know learn from them, hear them talk about uh, their experiences and and uh, what's going on in their life. So uh, honored to be on and uh, excited for the show. Well, as you know, um, I made no secret and I, I make no secret about it. The show and uh, what I do uh, is about players. And I, I believe players need a voice. And um, to the extent that I could provide them with that, I do. And as we talked uh, earlier, uh, a couple of days ago, we texted back and forth. It's your show hey, you know, what do you want to talk about? And you sent me a bunch of stuff, which was really cool because um, one of the things that impressed me about you, Mike, was your um, your intellect. Uh, and I made no secret also about the, the quality of players that you get in the Cape. You high-level high players in general are also high IQ baseball guys. And um, your thirst for knowledge and your willingness to take stuff in, and, and, and obviously... Nobody has all the answers. There are no secrets and, and, and nobody's going to give you the secret. There is no secret. The secret is in the dirt. You got to go find it and work and become the best player you possibly can. But um, what really impressed me about you was your receptiveness to new people um, trying to help, how quickly you bought in and how quickly you were all in. Talk to me a little bit about that experience this summer. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, obviously the reputation of the Cape Cod League is it, it's the best league in, in the country. And, uh, you know, arguably, I remember we talked about it being the best amateur baseball in the world. Um, so I think I went out there with a, uh, again, you talked about that receptiveness. I was eager to learn. Um, I, I come Again, you talked coming from Illinois, you, you know, were only able to play seven months out of the year. Um, so I, from a young age, I've been very receptive to learning. I've, won, I've been eager. Um, you know, baseball has been my life for, for a big portion of it. So, um, you know, sometimes to a fault as, as we'll talk about later on the show, but, um, yeah, I mean, coming out, I knew I was going to have great coaches, um, knew the competition was going to be great and, uh, I knew it was going to be a high level of baseball. So I, I was just trying to get out there and, and soak up as much knowledge as I could, uh, in the short time that I was out there. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the fundamentals of baseball, um, I'm a believer that at, 20 years old, I'm kind of the player I'm going to be. Uh, I kind of have my mechanics down to, you know, they're not, I'm not going to change a whole bunch. Uh, but that doesn't mean I can't pick up something from, you know, you or, or coach Smythe or coach Chev uh, or Jason or Neil, you know, who, who are all great coaches. That doesn't mean I can't pick up something and, and implement that into my game and, and give myself that little bit of competitive advantage, which um, ultimately gets smaller as you begin to climb the ladder higher up at baseball. Uh, finding that advantage becomes harder and harder to get. So uh, any little thing that I could pick up um, was was definitely something I was looking for this summer. Let's let's go back a little bit. Something I love to ask guys because I really I'm fascinated by how guys get to where they are. Um, uh, you're a kid from a cold weather place in Chicago, and uh, as you say, you know it's it, you're at a disadvantage. There's no there's no way to to paint the picture any prettier than that. You're in the middle of America. It's freezing. Uh, you have seven months when the guy in Texas has 12. Uh, you gravitate to baseball. How do you wind up at the University of Illinois? Was that your dream school? Was it the school because it's in your home, you know, in, in your home state? What was the, what, what's, what's the biography, if you will, uh, a Mike Massey winding up at the University of Illinois? 
No, yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, kind of some family ties. My dad uh, was a second baseman at the University of Illinois uh, from 1982 to 1986. And uh, so that, that kind of got the uh, the ball rolling when I was, you know, starting the recruiting <laughs> process and just kind of looking at schools. Obviously, I, I, you know, grew up down there going to football games and, you know, going to see some baseball games. Again, I'm a basketball fan. So I uh, had some familiarity with the school and, um, you know, being 15 or 16 years old when I started the whole process, uh, that was an obvious choice that I put on my list. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to uh, be at a camp where, uh, the coach from the University of Illinois was there and uh, just, you know, he said he liked me, liked my swing. And, um, you know, he said that at Illinois, they recruit shortstops. So they're all, all four of uh, our infielders are actually guys that in high school played shortstop. So, um, you know, just said he liked the way I picked up ground balls and, and made me an offer. And, you know, like I said, it, it's a pretty simple story with the family history of my dad. Um, my dad has four brothers. Three of them went there as well. Oh, um, so there's, yeah. So it's more <laughs> of a, a family tie thing. And then, um, I mean, the, the program and the coaching staff there is unbelievable. And, um, you know, the, the facilities for a Midwest school, you know, we get to play on turf, which as an infielder, you can never complain about. That's for sure, um, man. Protects my pretty face at times. So, uh, you know, that was something that was appealing. And, you know, they got a nice indoor facility that we're able to, uh, to go in in the winter. And you talk about those, you know, four or five months that, um, you know, we, we would have to sit idle before, you know, down at Illinois, we have a nice indoor football facility with cages that drop down and, uh, we're able to get our work in, uh, you know, whether it's snowing out, raining or, uh, you know, too cold. So, uh, it was just, it was the right fit. And then academically, uh, I'm in the business school down there. I'm majoring in marketing and business management. Um, so just again, great fit overall and, uh, couldn't be happier with my decision. Does your father ever tell you that uh, your gold glove really should have an asterisk on it and that he would have a gold glove if he had played on field turf? <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've heard that a couple of times, but he likes to take credit for it because he, he gets me all the fungos. And, okay. Uh, all right. All right. So yeah, somehow. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a big part of that. And my coach is at Illinois as well. I mean, that's, that's something that I couldn't have done without, without any of those guys, you know, always out there working with me early. Uh, you know, hitting fungos to me, uh, doing drill work, pick work, working on my feet. So, uh, you know, that was, that was an award that I won, but really without the help of other guys, um, I wouldn't have even come close to that. But yeah, the turf, the turf did play a big part in that. I will not lie. It's <laughs> nice to know that you're going to get the same bounce on uh, every ground ball. Nah, nah, you earned it, man. You, you, you got what it takes. There's no question about it. Let me ask you this. Growing up in an age where a lot of the nuances of baseball really are discounted. Let's face it. Um, you know, you go on the Twitter sphere and I like to refer to them as the Twittiots. Uh, the only thing that matters are the measurables and how far you hit it and exit velocity and all that other stuff. And we, we'll, we'll get into that later. But how does a kid gravitate and value defense um, when you're inundated your whole life with the only thing that matters is how far you can hit it and how hard you hit it. Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, that a lot of that comes from me just being able to learn from from such a good coach and my dad at a young age. And uh, being a middle infielder himself, he realized the value of being able to stay in the middle of the field, whether it be at shortstop, second base, center field. Uh, you know, those are the real positions when people think about defense. And, uh, you know, you don't see many... Uh, left fielders sticking around, hitting 220 and, and right. playing bad defense. But there are some second basemen, some shortstops, some center fielders that can hit 230 and make a career out of it because they could pick it. They can go get the ball in the outfield and, uh, you know, they can help their team that way. And so 
it was kind of just my dad at a young age shaping me, uh, informing me into to being a team player and understanding that uh, there, there's more to the game than just being able to hit home runs and uh, you know driving you know, RBIs and things like that. I mean, there's a whole another component of uh, you know stopping the other team from scoring. It's as simple as that. You know, the team can't, that you know, crosses home plate less is not going to win the game. So uh, any way that I can help the team do that is something that I'm going to work on. Something I'm going to try to get better at in the off season and. Um, hopefully make my team a better player by me becoming more skillful at doing that. Well, you've certainly done that. You've certainly done that. You know, one of the things I try to tell whenever I speak to parents or kids or a collection of people, which I'm going to be doing Sunday, I'm sure I'm going to make some enemies on Sunday, but is that the reason you play the middle of the field is that the closer you are to the foul lines, the closer you are to the bench. Uh, any player in the middle of the field gets moved to left field. He gets moved to third base. He gets moved to first base. If you already start as a third baseman and you don't hit, you don't play. If you start as a left fielder and you don't hit, you do not play. If you're a guy that is catching everything that's hit at you and then some in the middle of the field, or if you're a catcher and you could just catch and throw, you're always playing. And that's really, as long as you're always playing, you always have an opportunity to play well. If you don't play, you can't play well. So uh, your dad did a great job in understanding. And of course, I spent time with your father. I know he's a really good baseball guy. You could tell he played right away. You could tell he played and uh, he's got a good pedigree. So you were very fortunate uh, to grow up in that kind of household uh, because, as you know, a lot of your contemporaries just don't value, you know, everybody wants to hit. And I get it. You know, it's great to hit. But at the end of the day, um, there's another side of the ball as well. You got to be able to play the field. And if you can play the field and play the middle of the field, then all of a sudden you don't have to be Miguel Cabrera in order to stay in the lineup. Right. And, and to me, it's, it's similar to, you know, you talk about like off-season training. Um, it, it's similar to guys going in the gym and wanting to become more fit and get bigger and stronger. Um but you know, nobody wants to go work on their picks or nobody wants to go take ground balls because at the end of the day, you can't see the result of taking a hundred ground balls. Right. But when you go in the gym and you do your curls and you yep. pump your bench, right. you know, you can look in the mirror and you can see something. It's, it's right. immediate gratification. There's right. No, at some point, everybody could look ripped like me is what you're really saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had that. I had your body type in mind when I was making that. There comment. you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> I told you the show is fun. It's all about fun. Um, so, tell me what the schedule is now. Like, do you you head you head back to school, uh, and then like when do you? I guess you, you must head south or something, right? Your first foray onto the field in a game situation. How does that work at Illinois? Yeah, so our uh, I'll head back here on Sunday, um, and then we'll get going with some individual workouts next week. And then I want to say somewhere around three weeks before our first game, so around January 25th, 26th, uh, we'll begin full-team practice. You know, baseball pants, right. coaches are there, um, and we'll kind of start running through some things. And then our first, the way we do it at Illinois is, and the way most teams do it in the Midwest is obviously, you know, you can't open up in Illinois right. February 14th. so. Uh, what we'll do is we had to Wake Forest for our first weekend. Okay. Uh, so that'll be February 14th. So we play off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fly back on Sunday, and then we practice in Champaign in our indoor facility Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then on Thursday again, we'll head to Chicago. We'll fly out of Midway and we'll go to Coastal Carolina Okay. to play them in a, in a uh, four-game set. So that one's going to go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I think we play Monday morning as well. 
Uh, and then we'll fly back and we'll do the same thing that week. And then we go to Florida Atlantic for a three game set. We'll fly back and then we go to Phoenix, Arizona to play Grand Canyon uh, the next weekend. So our first four weekends consist of pretty much going on the road to play three game series. Uh, no midweek games. We just come back and practice during the week. And then after that fourth weekend, which usually ends up around early March, March 10th, March 11th, uh, we'll begin to play some midweek games at home and uh, freeze our butts off in, in Champaign, Illinois, trying to play in 30-degree weather. But um, that's pretty much the schedule uh, in the near future. Just to uh, clarify, the the absurdly... Uh, bloated rule book that is the NCAA and its obtuseness and acting never in the best interest of the student athlete. The reason for all of this is that in an effort to try to level the playing field between the schools who have the good weather and the schools that don't, what the NCAA ostensibly did was rule a fall out of existence and then mandate that there's these four-on-one practices where you can't have the full coaching staff and the full team convene until a certain date, which usually is around February 1st. So in fact, what they did was they broadened the gap between the schools that have good weather and the schools that don't, because there's no way to handicap the schools that have good weather because they could be outside 12 months a year. The only way to reduce the gap is to tell everyone you can play whenever you want, if you want, and as you see fit. Because then the schools from Illinois could have a long fall. And as soon as January 1st comes, you could be with your team doing whatever you can to try to bridge that gap that exists between you and the warm weather schools. So another instance of uh, the NCAA's inability to do to get anything right over the last 30 years. So uh, as I continue yeah, to... I- Right. You, t- you talk about that. I mean, um, you know, I-, I heard in your opening, you talk about, you know, kids taking off the month of August to play, you know, July yeah. travel yep. ball. Yep. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of similar at Illinois. And again, it's an, it, the NCAA kind of putting us in a wheelchair here and uh, not letting us loose because we'll go down there. And in Illinois, you know, the weather, um, you know, August is pretty warm. September is good. And then you start getting into October. It's still, you know, down in Champaign, you're two hours south of Chicago. You're able to be outside. It's 50s and 60s. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you probably have to start moving inside in November and and whatnot. But our fall ball is from early or it's from late August until uh, late September. And then we take off, you know, again, because of the NCAA, we take off the entire month of October and early November. We are not able to have team practices. We're not able to scrimmage. and. Um, right. You know, from coming from a climate where you only get seven months, right. you lose a, a month and a week. And that's I done. Said, think about this, Mike. That's done in the interest of leveling, of actually making you closer to Arizona State, which is absurd. How how guys get in a room, you know, otherwise smart people get in a room together. Oh, they aren't, they aren't that smart, I'm sure, at the NCAA. Um, and get in a room together and say, you know, this is a really good idea. What we're going to do is to make it equal we're going to further handicap the schools that have the handicap already. Well, what does that do? That actually just continues to increase the chasm that exists between the schools that are in the South and in the West and in warm weather places and those that aren't. But you know what? Until 
you know, and someday it will happen. Uh, we get rid of the NCAA. None of this is ever going to change because if you're a rulemaking body, what you do is you make rules. And usually at some point you make too many and they're too strict and they're absurd. And that's exactly what the NCAA has done to schools like Illinois. Anyway, I digress. I don't want to get on my soapbox. Oh, I guess it's too late. Oh, well. Um, another That's another Christmas card I won't be getting this year. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. So let's talk about a couple of things that you had on your mind. So I want to go in reverse order. You sent me a couple of really cool cool things that show what a smart guy you are. Um, Something that I I absolutely love uh, and I have been a proponent of forever, um, and that is uh, visualization. Um, You know, with all of the uh, experts out there about how to perform and how to hit and how to throw and how to pitch and how to whatever, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, there's nothing more powerful than you repeating in your head and you seeing yourself succeed. I don't know of anything that's more powerful than that because I'm a big mental health guy and I think that that's the new frontier, you know, feeling good and and good self-talk and all that stuff. Uh, I, I really think that's something we have to work on with our athletes. Um, and I think visualization is a huge part of that. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you use that. What's your perspective? Being a guy where that's, let's face it, that's not the kind of stuff most guys are talking about right now. Uh, how does that figure into how you go about getting your job done? Uh, yeah, and I, I think this kind of goes back to our first topic where we were talking about kind of my eagerness to learn and my eagerness to get that advantage. Um, so like you just said, not a lot of guys are, are focusing on, you know, seeing themselves do good things and that positive self-talk and putting good images in their head. Um, it's, you know, they're more worried about the physical stuff. Right. Um, but my, you know, me and my dad would always talk about this. It's like, you know, when I see it, in my, I may not be able to take a hundred perfect swings in a cage, um, but I, but I can visualize a hundred perfect swings. You know, I can, when I'm in my head and I can visualize, I can see, you know, I have the choice to see what I want there. I could see myself rolling over or I could see myself in a line drive in the gap. So the more times that I could see myself in a line drive in the gap, um, the more, t- you know, the better I get at understanding what that feels like, you know. Uh, I was just talking to a, uh, a really, a really good baseball guy that I respect a lot. And, uh, he was talking to me about, I was just kind of telling him my, you know, my visualizing routine, you know, each day. And he's like, you know, what if you just sat in your room and instead of taking, you know, you take your amount of reps that you need and you take your swings and your ground balls. Um, and then what if after that you went in a room and you visualized yourself making one play per day, you pick one play and you visualize it 200 times. You just understand, you kind of put yourself in the moment, you close your eyes, you visualize your surroundings, you kind of feel the moment, and you see yourself make that play how you want to make it 200 times in a row. And what ends up happening, and, and I'm a believer in this, is you begin to to get the feeling of what that feel, you know, 
what does it feel like when I make this play? Um, what hop am I getting? And, you know, believe it or not, I, I'm a believer, again, that your mind, uh, your body follows your mind. So we'll get into it a little bit later with the launch angle stuff. But if I tell myself in my mind to go get this hop, my body's going to follow that. Um, if I tell myself on an outside pitch that I need to stay, maybe for me, I need to stay on top of it more and try to hit a line drive as opposed to getting under it. My body is going to follow what my mind is telling it. And I recreate that feeling. Uh, but it's easier for me to call upon that feeling in a game when I visualized it 200 times a day in the off season. It's fresh. You know, it, it's the, the image is more vivid for me uh, to call upon. And, and so to me, that's a big, uh, that's a big thing for me when it comes to games and, and performing at my best. I, I, I love it because I love it because I'm trying to apply it to all the things that I do. You know, I, I think baseball for all its cutting edge claims is really in the dark ages because in golf, we've been doing this stuff for 60 years in golf or all, all of this stuff, launch monitors, you know, swing coaches, um, all, all of visualization. Golf is so far ahead of baseball as far as development is concerned. And baseball, of course, in its infinite arrogance, thinks that it invented this stuff. And it's really very, very new in baseball. And I think that's why it's become so bastardized. But what I, what I think is so powerful about what you're saying and so mature um, is that, you know, you can't, you won't tire physically of taking mental reps. You could literally, you could be in the shower. You could be, you know, laying in bed watching TV. You could be, um, you know, driving and you could be thinking about that one play, that one swing, that one pitch, the, you know, the, the two strike pitch that that's on the outside corner. You, you you'll never tire of the physical of, of the mental and we know enough about the brain and its physiology that it has an incredible impact on your physicalness. That is not a secret. Your brain is the most powerful computer you'll ever operate, ever, ever. And it has a tremendous impact on you. And the more, and, and that's why I believe one of the things that, uh, if I could give one gift to players, it's increased attention and focus. I don't think guys watch enough. I don't think they watch the game enough that they're playing. And I know they don't watch enough games that are on TV or that they watch highlights. We, we, we're a highlight world now, but I don't think guys immerse themselves enough in the game, watching and allowing their brain to process the information. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I think, you know, from, from a young age, I think guys kind of turn away from it. And, um, because I think coaches at times or, and again, even other players, they, you know, Somebody will be struggling and they'll say, ah, oh, don't think, don't think, just play. Well, like you just said, the brain's one of the most powerful things. Oh my God. It is the most powerful thing in my body. So why not use it to my advantage? So, okay, maybe it's not an asset. You know, maybe I'm struggling because I'm overthinking when I'm 16 or 17. But as I mature and I get older in the game, why not continue to work on that part of my game and make it an asset? Just like if I'm a bad defender, I continue to go take ground balls because that's the way I know to get better. So if I'm trying to improve my mental game, you know, why can't I make that an asset, you know, two, three, four years down the road or right now? And, and what it is, is it's basically taking ground balls from my brain. It's lifting weights from my brain. It's hitting for my brain, right. Right. Um, which, you know, it's cliche, but baseball's, baseball is so mental and it's cliche for a reason because it matters. And, uh, you know, and the thing like when you're visualizing is you have a conscious choice. Every time you have a choice to see it the way you want to see it or you have a choice to see it the way you don't want to see it. 
And I think the the foundation of players believing in themselves is consistently seeing positive thoughts in their head. You know, it's so inside what you're talking about and really so advanced. Um, and I think that you, you, you touched on it earlier, and I think this is part of your humility as a player. And that's another thing I think that players need to understand is that when you're humble, you can learn. When you're humble, you can receive. It's very hard when you're arrogant to be receiving anything because that arrogance is like an aggressiveness. When you're humble, you tend to be able to take more in and absorb. And one of the things you said was, I'm probably the player I'm going to be, which is accurate. Let's face it. You're 20, 21 years old. Physically, you're not going to change a lot in the next 10 years, physically. But emotionally and mentally, that's going to be the difference between you playing professional baseball for a little bit and playing in the big leagues. That's probably, you ask any big leaguer, he's not going to say to you, yeah, well, when I signed, I was okay. You know, I I only hit the ball 300 feet and then I started to hit the ball 500. That's not the way it works. You've seen it. Good players are about physically at their capacity right now. Now the rest is, how do you handle everything else? The adversity, the struggles, the pitch, the two strike approach, you know, the ball hit up the middle. How do you now adapt to everything that takes place on the field? And yeah, and I think it needs to be, uh, again, this comes from just watching, like you talked about. Maybe enough players don't uh, don't sit down and watch games you know, when they're home at night. But it, to me, it's obvious when you turn on the screen and you know, I see a guy like Aaron Judge. And, and again, not saying Aaron Judge doesn't do all this stuff mentally. I'm sure he does. That's why he's a great player. But you look at him physically and you're like, okay, that's obvious. That guy's in the big league. Right. Derby. You know, he's 6'7". He can hit the ball 500 feet. Right. Genetic lottery. Players, uh, right. And then there's players, you know, again, not to name any names, these guys are great players, but uh, there's guys like uh, Tommy Lestella from the Cubs. You know, that guy's 5'11", 175, 80 pounds. Uh, I think he's been in the big leagues for about eight years, more World Series. There's nothing physically imposing about him. Right. Uh, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing great about his skill set. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have crazy range or run crazy fast, but he's just, again, getting back to your point of not value, you know, valuing the measurables too much. He's just a really good baseball player right. um, who's mentally strong, who believes in himself, who has the ability to uh, move runners, who has the ability to be a team player. And he understands in his own head, okay, well, what do I need to get good at in order to stay in the game? My game is I don't need to go in the weight room and try to be a hero and, and bench 400 pounds because that's not my game. So even if I get better at that, that doesn't really help me. It doesn't help my team. Correct. So I think – Again, like I said, just look turning on the TV and seeing the the difference between the sizes of players, the shapes of players, the speed, the strength. Um, you know, it, it's not cookie cutter, and it's not cookie cutter for a reason because uh, baseball is a heck of a lot more than just being physical. Right. Unlike basketball, where let's face it, if LeBron James is six foot tall, he's not in the NBA. That's the way it goes. Right. Sorry. Size is a skill. If you're if you're six ten and you can do that, or six nine, that's fine. If you're six feet and you can do that, you can't play. Literally, it's nine inches that you had nothing to do with. You can't make yourself taller. You have to be born with certain genetics that will make you a certain size. Otherwise, you can't play. That is not the case in baseball. That's why I always tell guys learn how to catch because it's the only position really where nobody tells you you're too slow or you're too small. Because if you can catch, you can catch. It doesn't matter. Nobody is prejudiced yep. against Yadier Molina because he's not big enough. Right. And, and he's, that's, that's the beauty of baseball. Is it's it is. Just, you know, you look at other sports, you, you can't, how many guys, how many great college quarterbacks have you seen 
not get drafted because they're five foot eleven and right. they're one hundred and nine. Absolutely, pounds. But they're, no, Johnny Manziel, phenomenal, right. phenomenal college player, but right. he gets to the NFL and that guy gets broken in two pieces because he's five foot eleven. He can't change his build. Right, you know, he could be as skilled as he wants, but when you get you know when you get stomped by a guy that's three hundred and forty pounds and you can't see over the line, well, now you got a problem. Yeah, I mean, so literally, I mean, you know, you're you're obstructed. Yeah. It's 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 an advantage to be six foot three. The same ability, right. you need another three or four inches. Okay, next. You say you don't want to put your you don't want your identity as a person to be defined by your baseball. That's pretty powerful, yeah, so I, I, and that's really, I mean, coming from a guy your age, you know, usually don't get to that point until you're a lot older than you are. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so, I mean, again, I just, I've kind of, uh, it's more from some experiences that I went through. Uh, I used to, again, like I used to talk about me, my eagerness to learn, and and uh, baseball was my life for, for so many years. Uh, and again, it's still very important to me. It's still a big part of my life. But just kind of understanding that, as I've gotten older, as you fail, as you go through different things in the game, uh, I mean, it's a roller coaster of emotions. It's a roller coaster of, uh, you know, performance, you know, and I always used to, when I was, you know, even again, going back to my senior, junior in high school, um, you know, what kind of night I had dictated on what I did in the game and if we won the game or not, you know, and, and I got tired of, you know, oh, I want, you know, I got tired of, knowing that I was going to feel crappy if I had a bad game right. and then I would end up putting too much pressure on myself because, well, nobody wants to feel like crap the rest of the night. So I got to get a hit here or right. we got to win this. It's game, a vicious so cycle, man. Play here. Yeah. And it was just, again, you, you'd go through hot streaks and cold streaks. Well, when I would go through hot streaks and cold streaks on the field, I would go through hot streaks and cold streaks in my relationships with my parents and right. my brother and my sister and my friends. And I, you know, I got down to Illinois and, I kind of, I had some good teammates and a good mentor down there, uh, ended up kind of getting involved in my faith a little bit more, uh, joined the, the fellowship of Christian athletes down there. And that's kind of my outlet. That's, that's now how I define myself. I define myself by, you know, how I can serve other people, uh, what type of impact I can make in my community. Uh, and, and I make my life bigger than baseball. And I remember having this conversation actually with, uh, with Gage Workman, uh, let me talk about the player that that guy is. Uh, <laughs> Love that kid. But uh, oh, unbelievable player. Um, but just getting getting back to our conversation, I remember we were talking about, and something that he said stuck out, uh, stuck out to me. He talked about his dad telling him, you know, what what would you be if baseball wasn't here anymore? You know, where where would your life be? What kind of impact would you have on others? Uh, how would your relationships be? Uh, how would your focus in school be different if you didn't have baseball? And it just, it makes you think, you know, life is a heck of a lot bigger than baseball. And, um, and that was something that I realized by putting too much pressure on myself by my performance dictating how I was going to be that night or how I was going to treat somebody. And, uh, you know, like I said, my outlet has turned into my faith. Uh, there's other, you know, you listen to Dabo Sweeney from the, you know, the Clemson mm-hmm. football mm-hmm. coach guy just was second national championship. Um, and he, you know, he talks about in his program, it's not, he doesn't judge his success based on how many wins he has, or how many national championships he wins, you know, that stuff's nice. But I heard an interview where he talked about, you know, I judge my success by how my players turn out in life. You know, what kind of husbands they are, right. uh, you know, what kind of fathers they are, what kind of impact they have on their local communities yep. and the communities beyond that. Um, and that was something that was kind of inspiring to me. And, 
And I saw how Dabo Swinney used his platform as, um, you know, a star football coach and inspired people like me and, and other people around the country uh, and in the world to, to just kind of realize the platform that you're on and, and the ability that you have to inspire the younger generation and, you know, the world, as opposed to just making this about how many hits can I get today or how many championships can we win? I mean, that stuff gets forgotten. Um, you know, go, going back to, I'm a big Bears fan being from the Chicago area and, you know, Cody Parkey misses the field goal this week and hangs yep. off the upright. Um, you know, when I see, you know, the biggest thing I learned from that was not that the Bears won or lost the game, but Cody Parkey points to the sky, you know, thanking God for that opportunity. Yep. And he's in the, he's in the post game, uh, you know, prayer huddle at the 50 yard line. Uh, and, and it was just, it was unbelievable to see him handle that adversity the way he did. Um, and it, it was, it was cool again, that that's a guy doing it on the highest level who doesn't put his identity in, in kicking and in football. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think it's a little egotistical to think that somehow as athletes we're better than other people because yes. I can hit a baseball further. It's or so I lame. Take it's, a ball. I, yeah, it's I can so take lame. A, a pigskin ball through two uprights. Yeah. Uh, and that makes me somehow better than you. So, uh, I think just kind of losing my identity in, in sports was something that I learned from. Uh, and I had definitely gotten on a track to try to fix that and, um, again, make a bigger impact than, than just being a baseball player. Uh, that's really awesome. As you know, I don't know if you know that Brandon Wolf is also, uh, uh, a Christian athlete. He's, I think he's the president of the chapter fellowship of Christian athletes at Stanford. He recently, uh, sent me a letter. So, uh, another guy deep in faith. And I've always admired and I've been fascinated. As a matter of fact, Gage and I had a lot of conversations about faith this year, you know, um, and the role it plays in his life. And, you know, you're a young guy, you're at Arizona State, there's a lot of temptations and you're this guy who's steeped in this faith. And, you know, how do you handle that? And how do you balance that? And, and, and a certain peace came over him. You know, he's a very peaceful kid. He's very, he's, he's got a sense of assuredness that's beyond just the baseball stuff. As a person, he's very self-assured. And, um, I know his faith plays a huge role in that. And I, I'll tell you something. One of the things that I, I do now is, um, I try to live in gratitude. You know, I, I'm thankful for every day because there are people who don't get tomorrow. Uh, stranger things have happened than, you know, you step out onto the street and you get hit by a bus. So one of the things I try to tell my players is play, imagine there was no major leagues. Think about the pressure that would be off of you. And if you just got to, had to play the game for the sake of playing the game, a real joy-filled experience, irrespective of what might come. Imagine if you could remove that pressure and that, you know, the goal that you set for yourself that's going to happen five years from now. And if you could just live in this moment, this pitch, this inning, this game, how much better your performance would be. Oh, absolutely. And if you break it down, uh, you know, you talk about worry and you talk about fear of failure. I mean, all that stuff comes from trying to manipulate the future. Correct. It all comes from trying to engineering the outcome. Oh man. Right. And, and from a young age, it, it's all travel baseball. And absolutely. Man. Serious. He, Just go on Twitter, dude, go on Twitter. People, yeah. baseball is life. Right. Baseball is this. If I didn't have baseball, I'd walk over hot coal. Oh, shut up. You have no, if right. that's how you really are, then I feel sorry for you. Hopefully you really don't mean that. I, I hope to God that people have other things that are really important to them. Cause as my God bless my father used to say, you know, there are 2 billion Chinese who don't care. 
they don't even know you exist. Baseball is not even played in, you know, it's not even an international game, for God's sakes. Take it easy. You know, we tend to overvalue what we do. You know, if you ever looked at the numbers in one of the classes that I teach, you know, sports economics, we look at the numbers. Baseball is not even like close to other sports internationally, not even close. And yet people think it's the end all and be all. And I think it's really hard to succeed when you perceive something as being so big. Right. And that's something that my dad has always reminded me of. And he's always, you know, been on me making sure I stay humble. And, uh, you know, one of the things he always tells me is, you know, be confident, be, you know, not, not arrogant, obviously, but you got to be confident in your abilities in order to be successful but at the same time, like you just talked about, um, you know, don't make yourself more important than you think you are. You know, you're, you're playing a game because you love it and you're not playing a game so you can get, you know, people start patting you on the back and it feels nice. Um, and then you people try to, I think, or players try to, like, oh, man, how can I get the next pat on my Right. Back? It's and very it seductive. More, it is. It's very seductive. It becomes more about getting the pat on the back as opposed to I'm actually doing this because I just love to play. Correct. Correct. Um, it's joyful. And if there's no cameras out here and there's no Twitter tweeting out what I did or how my game went, uh, then it doesn't matter and I'm not having any fun and that's not why I do it. But um, well, that's I a, think it's very important. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, just, I think it's very important for players to, to kind of sit down alone by themselves and, and really break it down and say, why am I playing? You know, what are my motives here? Um, Am I trying to become a major league, you know, baseball player because uh, it's something that I think other people would think it's cool, or am I doing this because it's really what I want to do and it's what I love, um, and it's a goal I'm chasing. But again, it's not my life. You know, there, there's there's things that I think you, as a player you have to figure out about yourself and you have to figure out your motives and your why, uh, you know, why you do what you do. Yeah, I think a lot of people would are afraid to ask themselves that question and be honest about it. I, I really do. I, I, as a guy who has been in the game my entire life and seen the sea changes that have taken place over the last, especially 25 years, the advent of, you know, parent involvement and travel ball and the pressure and social media. Um, I don't know that guys want to confront that question because I don't know that they'd like the answer. A lot of them. Um, uh, but in, in any event, let's, let's, let's move on to the next topic that's going to make us both um, enemies of the state. Uh, obviously, we now live in a world where everything is getting reinvented, especially in baseball. Um, these newly initiated guys who, you know, I don't know where they came from, but uh, now feel the need to rename redefine uh, and essentially tell us that they have the secret. And I think no, no term summarizes that more than launch angle. Um, just, just for those who have been under a rock for the last three or four years, launch angle is not a thing. You know, launch angle is like saying an inch or a gallon always was and always will be. The ball has to come off of a bat or a golf club or a tennis racket at some angle, right? It's either straight, down, up, whatever that angle might be. So launch angle is not a philosophy. Let's get that out. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way, all right? People think if they say launch angle, it gives them instant credibility. What is a philosophy is the prescribing of a particular trajectory that the ball has to leave your bat in order for you to be successful and measuring that to a fare thee well. And you being an outstanding hitter, I mean, you can really hit, man. You, you know, you got that. 
uh, talk to me about how you process that um, because there's a lot of pressure on you to buy in. What are your views on that as a guy who's really an elite hitter? Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, your comments on that. But I, I think uh, I think it's totally I, – the thing that I don't like about it, um, like you said, I don't necessarily you know hate the idea. I mean, if you're 6'5 and you're 220 pounds and your name's Chris Bryant, and you play in Chicago where the wind blows out half of the year. And you drive in seventy and you drive in yeah. seventy-three runs last year. Okay. Let's let's and, you know it's not yeah, like Chris yeah. it's not like Chris Bryant's hitting three sixty and driving in hundred and forty six runs with his four flyouts right. a game. Let's just I, I, I know the facts are friendly, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's something that is uh is being taught as like the cook it's the new like hitting for everybody. Right. And to me it, it's very um it takes a special guy physically to be able to, to take that approach of, I need this, you know, my launch angle needs to be X. And um, I, I just don't think it's for every guy, but it's being taught for every guy at younger levels. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go up and I watch younger teams hit and everyone's trying to hit the top of the cage now and yep. Yep. home runs are cool and home runs are great. Um, and it just, I go back and I look at, you know, really good hitters who have developed power. You look at like Scooter Jeanette, mm-hmm. Christian Yelich, guys that are hitting 30 home runs in the major league now. You go back and look at their minor league numbers. I mean, they're hitting seven, right. 10, yep. six. Yep. And, and what it is, is those guys, but they're hitting 330, they're right. hitting 340 because they're just, they're pure hitters and they know how to hit and they know how to make solid contact with the ball. They know where to make contact with the ball. Um, they understand, you know, what pitches I need to swing at in order to drive the ball. And then as soon as they turn 26 or 27, they get their, you know, they're, they're, they're a man and they can hit balls. That's out right. Of ballpark. That's right. You know, they're old doubles that used to one hop the wall are now flying five rows deep. Um, and it's just a matter of, again, I, I'm a believer that you have to be a pure hitter before you can talk about power and you could talk about launch angle and all that stuff. Um, if, you know, like we talked about a bunch this summer, if you can't step in a cage and hit the same spot in that cage, 10, 15, 20 times in a row, um, then, then launch angle should not even be a factor. So you can right. You're trying. It's it's just like guys who are trying to throw the ball as hard as they can. If you're throwing a strike by accident, then you're throwing the ball too hard. And if you're if you're getting hits by accident every once in a while, you're probably trying to hit the ball too far and too high because a ground ball through the left side is the same as a single up the middle is the same. It's it, it's all a hit. And the more hits you get, the more you make contact the more it's likely you're going to make solid contact. The more solid contact you make, the more likely it is you're going to hit the ball far. So to start with the end result, to start with the home run and work your way backwards is really dangerous. It really is. And I think you've got the right idea. Your approach, which I watched all summer, is the right approach. I mean, you're up there to make something happen. You're not boxed into only one outcome. No, and and that's something that... um you know, people always say, oh, I want to hit for a higher average. How do I do that? And then immediately guys go into the launch angle and, oh, if you swing at this plane, can the ball's coming down on this plane and you're going to make more consistent. Co-. You know, that stuff is, is I don't, I'm not a believer in that. I think, like you just said, the more time you want to hit for a higher average, make more contact. Don't strike out. The more times that I put, yeah, the more times that I put the ball in play, it's, I mean, it, this is obvious, Matt, the more, the better chance I have to get ahead. <laughs> Mike, Mike, with all the play, math, with all the math, how come that's not part of the math? I mean, I isn't isn't that the analytic that you really need? The more we, hit, I, you know, I said I, I said I'm I'm going to be doing this clinic. I'm telling you on Sunday. I, I'm 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 dreading it, but I, I love doing it. 
At the end of the day, what imagine if you spent the season as a high school player and you didn't strike out once. You'd hit like 580. If you didn't strike, if that was the only thing you tried not to do, you'd have to hit for a, you'd have to be a good player. Have to, have to. The math. And my favorite is. Go ahead. My favorite, my favorite part about it is, you know, you'll get, you'll start getting like some blue pits and you'll, you'll get crap from like your coaches or something. And it's like, or your teammates will be, ah, it's a, you know, blue, it's like, Freaking base hit in the book. Nobody knows. I'm that's right. Base. I'm and and if there's a guy on third, that's an RBI. <laughs> yeah, like nobody cares if it was a laser in the gap. Right. I've plenty of lasers that have been caught. That, that's right. Good about those. That's right. That's right. This is so good. So good. Um, I want to play a little game with you. Have a little fun. We play with everybody. I call it quick pitch. Um, right. And just for the record, uh, Mike Massey, gold glove winner. Um, Really, really a pleasure. One of you know one of the, one of the great, real uh, honors about being able to work with elite players is to get the know, get to know them. And um, I, I knew that having Mike here tonight uh, was going to be a great broadcast. And I, I'm I'm really thrilled to have you. And I, I want you to know that before you start up again uh, and start traveling and become a vagabond during the spring. I want to have you back because you have so much to contribute. And I learned an awful lot from you. And that's one of the things I want, one of the points I wanted to make is that really good players, they think that they're learning a lot. And one of the secrets is that, that we're learning just as much, if not more. Um, and I want you to know how much I appreciated having you this summer, really. Um, and I got you back, pal. So anyway, let's play this game. Uh, I'm going to just say something and you're going to give me your first response. You ready? All right. Okay. Ready. All right. Favorite food. Chicken. <laughs> Grilled chicken. Raw chicken? <laughs> Grilled. Grilled. <laughs> All right. Grilled chicken. That's a Midwest answer right there. Little potatoes. and. <laughs> oh, give me some rice on the side. There you go. There you go. What's the last show you binge watched? Uh, Stranger Things. That's a great show. Did you like that show? I loved it. I, I love, love. I love that friggin' show. Those kids are great. Kids are great. <laughs> And those monsters were scary. Those monsters scared the hell out of me. Um, anyway, and, and the acting is fabulous. You're right. Great show. Great show. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, okay, so what's your um, favorite late night snack? Favorite late night snack? Uh, popcorn. Gotta be popcorn. That comes from my dad. Okay. That's a bad habit. Right. A lot I of butter. Yeah, I like popcorn too, man. I like popcorn too. Um, what's your favorite sound? Uh, wood bat in an empty major league stadium. That's a great sound. It really is. Well, coming off your bat, it's a great sound. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of other guys, a lot of other guys, it doesn't sound as good. Sounds like a baby rattle. <laughs> Ouch. Nothing worse than the, uh, the new aluminum bat. Though, I'll tell you that. Oh my God. How bad, how bad is that? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I want to hit. I want to hit batting practice with earplugs on. <laughs> okay. Um, favorite movie? Uh, Moneyball. Okay, that's a good movie. Brad Pitt's good in that movie. Yeah, I like the song. Yeah, I, like the I like the song at the end. The girl, the daughter. It's a cool song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's a good scene. That is a good movie, though. That's a, that's a that that movie is kind of you know baseball movies are really terrible usually as far as simulating reality because baseball is such a hard game to get right you know it could look really lame like you know when some of these actors have like 
Yeah. No muscles at all. <laughs> they don't look like athletes, but they did a pretty good job there. They really did. All right. They used a lot of real footage. Yes, like. they did. They did. Um, three dinner guests, no longer alive, not related to you. Who would they be? Oh, boy. Definitely got to go with uh, Mickey Mantle. Was Love my uh, idol switch hitter. Me too. Um, Walter Payton, best running back in Bears history. Stan Makita just passed away. From, Number 21. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Number 21. Bobby Hull, Stan yep. Makita. Those are great teams. Eric yeah. Eric Nestorenko played for the, the Blackhawks. But I tell you that, but he'll, he'll remember Nestorenko. That was a great teams. That was a lot of those guys still didn't wear helmets. Oh, it's crazy. The old goalie mask. Oh my God. <laughs> How about this? There were actually, there was a time not that, it wasn't that long ago, you know, in the sixties where some goalies didn't wear a mask. That's unbelievable. I mean, again, I, it was, I understand it was tougher to lift the puck with the, with the straight stick, but, but still, bro, I mean, if something got out there, you're in trouble. Yeah. A guy, very often a guy would go like get a tooth knocked out or get some stitches and come back out for the third period and go back into the net. Come on. Yeah. And guys think they're tough today. Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So listen, um, we're running out of time. Um, I can't tell you how happy I am that uh, that you finally got on to to the show. You're one of my favorite guys. Terrific player, terrific guy, really smart. I want you to make sure you stay in close touch with me. As a matter of fact, right now I'm wearing my Illinois baseball t-shirt. Right? <laughs> right, Miles? Miles is giving me the thumbs up, although he has no thumb because he was eaten by a shark. A shark literally attacked Miles. He tried to put his hand down the shark's throat. Good job, Miles. Okay. Whew. All right. Obviously not going to be carrying the sandwiches at the Mensa meeting anytime soon. That's for sure. Uh, so, um, you know, whatever you need, I got your back. All right, man. So we are going to um, wrap it up. This is the conversation. And we're going to wrap it up with part of 20 of the greatest, probably the 20 greatest live minutes of music ever. This is the great Freddie Mercury, Queen. Yeah, baby. Mike Massey, going to go high in the draft this year, pal. We're going to have a party in New York. We've got some great restaurants we got to go to, all right? Forward to you. you got it, man. Listen, I love you. Whatever you need, I'm always here for you. My best to your parents. This is Tommy Weber saying thank you. My friend Ronnie, I miss you, pal. We are out of here. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.